Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Hi, Catherine. Oh, we did the same thing. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I just did a double workout, which I haven't done in so long. Good for <laughs> you. Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. My friend texted me last night and said, Hey, do you want to do a track workout with me? I haven't run since January. I thought that would be a good way to start back into running to do a track workout. <laughs> And then I had my normal Thursday strength day. So, so hopefully I don't get hangry and forget everything as we're recording this intro. I, I bet you do. Yeah. You know what I did yesterday? What? Um, had my blood drawn for inside tracker. You did? Yes. Oh, you had to fast beforehand. Were you hangry? I was. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am not a fan of having my blood drawn. I don't know who is, but I'm really not. And, and luckily I had a really a, a great guy, you know, they came and did the home kit. So he, he's done, he's had to draw blood from me before and knows my tendency to pass out and handled it very well. He was asking me all kinds of biking questions. And then when he finished, um, I said, you really don't care about my biking, do you? And he's like, no, not really, but I figured it would distract you. <laughs> That's so funny. My mom was a nurse and my brother's a PA. And so it's always like suck it up. So I, we had like, we have the quest labs here. So I went to mm-hmm. the quest lab to get mine done. And I went to the first appointment, like yeah. seven 30 in the morning yeah. when they opened the doors <laughs> and she was like, you, you're really good at getting your blood drawn. And I said, Oh yeah. You know, needles don't bother me. She was like, you should see the guys. They always are the worst. They're the ones that pass out. No, I, I don't, I didn't want to see the needle. I didn't want to see the tubes. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't do well. I don't do well. So. It was, I was kind of like grumpy because I had to get up and drive and do the blood work. And, but I actually learned a lot from getting it back. I've, ch- I've changed my diet quite a bit from, from I can't wait to get my, I'm looking forward to that part of it. I just didn't look forward to the stick in the arm, the poke in the yeah. arm, but you know, that's how you get there. Yeah. 
So I, I learned, you know, like my vitamin D levels were super low. My cortisol was high, which I think everybody's is. Um, I, I, I guess it's going to be through the roof. Yeah, like that's crap. the stress hormone. Um, and then you, you get your inner age. And I was, in my inner age, I'm four years younger. Awesome. So I'll be, now I'm worried about my inner age. What your inner age is. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're like 40 on your inner age? Woo! The DNA part I was laughing at because they, it told me that like what I should excel at is endurance sports. <laughs> Mine too. Mine said that too. They're like, you're not really a fast twitch kind of person. I was like, yeah, I know. I go, yeah, I I'm very aware a DNA of that. Test for that. <laughs> I also said that, um, I need more than the average sleep. And I was like, hmm, that's why I'm tired. Oh, why? I'm going to go back and look at mine because I wonder what, I wonder about that on, my, on me. I didn't, I looked at it quickly. I need to look at it again. I was going to wait to look at the whole thing once I get my blood work yeah. back. So yeah. anyway, so inside not, tracker. This wasn't it's meant to be a, pro, a, a promo for our um, sponsor, but it is really interesting. And it's, it's interesting because they test the levels for athletes. So it could, so like a doctor might say this is normal, but if you're trying to optimize your athletic performance it would say, okay, this is a little bit out of the range. So anyway, it's all very interesting, but you have another big thing going on, right? I do. Um, fundraising. I, I am not typically somebody that likes to do this, but I have, uh, <clears throat> put on my big girl chamois, as we like to say on our show and putting myself out there and moving outside of my comfort zone. And I am fundraising for, um, outride lifetime foundation, um, to get more kids, um, on bikes and better nutrition in our schools. And so um, something that I'm pretty passionate about, both of those things. Um, and these two organizations have come together to um, raise funds. So um, I put the challenge out to raise $3,000. I'm beginning to think I need to go in and change that, <laughs> make it lower. Because <laughs> I want to be successful. <laughs> So I would love it if any of our listeners or community would, you know, throw 20 bucks at my little fundraising page, um, and help, help, help me get to my goal. That'd be great. Yeah. We'll definitely put that, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about it. I, I mean, it literally, it was funny how, how oddly difficult that was for me to put myself out there that way. Like, it's just, Yeah. It's scary. I always I, participate in people's fundraisers, but, but to yeah. be able, you know, to do that myself was kind of a, a tricky thing. So I raised money for a lot of years. If you need some tips, I can help you. I probably won't follow them, <laughs> <laughs> but I did, I've, I've been, a, I've done fundraising campaigns, but like, you know, and participated in it from that perspective, but putting, you know, just doing it myself like this is, is a, something new for me. So you know, and it's still like the Strava group we have going, you can join that and just track your miles. And that all helps with our awareness of this whole thing. So we've got the outride times unbound gravel. There's a Strava group there. You can just join. And, you know, this weekend, Allie Tetrick's throwing some love our way and the bandana money that she raises from this month will be going to the same cause. And, um, I'm excited about, about that and it's meaningful. Yeah. You know, we're really hoping to impact the next generation of cyclists. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think we've all seen too, with the pandemic, people understanding how vital the nutrition that kids get at school is, especially mm -hmm. if their families 
well, you know, lots of families need help. Um, and schools providing healthy meals for kids is really important. Yep. Yep. And that's that Lifetime Foundation's big focus is that. And both of those organizations, if people don't know, both the Lifetime Foundation and Outride, 100% of the money that they raise goes to these causes. They're supported by um, companies to pay the salaries of the staff and whatnot. So the money that you give goes 100% to these programs. So I love that. That's the, the charity water model. Yeah. They were the first ones to really forge that. I, yeah, really I really, it feels, it feels even more impactful. You know, there's not a 30% cut off the top. It's all going right to the kids. So anyway, $20 for the fundraiser, she gets $20 goes to the kids. Um, yeah. Well, so another fun thing that's happening, another way that people can contribute is we just launched a May route challenge with Laura and Rose of gravel bike adventures. So, so, uh, what we're doing is in the month of May, we want to get 100 new bike routes um, on their websites. And oh, cool. Have you gone to their new website? They just um, after Yes, but I literally hit the link. I, I need to go back because I hit the link and looked at it. I was like, that looks cool. You know, yeah, I need to go back. It's really cool. Like you go on and it tells you like how many stars a route is. Um, how hard it is. It tells you where to park. It tells you if there's like a bathroom there gives you highs and lows on the routes, you know, make sure you don't oh, miss cool. the pictures from the route. And so we're trying to get a hundred more five-star routes because in our Facebook group, literally every week, somebody's like, where do I find routes? And somebody always posts that gravel map, which I hate because you have to, on that gravel map, you really have to be able to figure out your route or you can go mm -hmm. like search ride with GPS or something like that, but it's not going to tell you, Hey, this is really technical. Like Laura or Rose was telling me they went and tried out a route this past weekend. Uh, they were down in Southern Colorado or Utah somewhere. And they didn't realize once they got into the higher elevation in the desert that they were going to hit snow. So they hit seven miles of snow hiking with their bikes. <laughs> she was like, that's the kind of thing that we put around like if you go this time of year you may hit a lot of snow hiking so so i think those things just make it a lot more fun to go out and ride your bike so oh, sure so i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well but um it's really easy you just get the gpx file you uh give like a location so they can put driving directions in and then you take pictures when you go out and ride and submit it and they've got all kinds of great prizes so every time you submit a route your enter to win a really cool prize. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna raise money for kids and we are gonna get, get more, more women for us. bike routes. You got a lot going on. That's that's good. Well, and I think um we probably listening to the our guests that we have today, Ashley Zapata. That was a good um, transition, Christy. <laughs> well, I'm because like she I was so spun out the morning we talked to her <laughs> me too we were both you couldn't get on zoom and we were having tornadoes here and yeah and it was literally like the it's great her tips for the stress and all of the stuff that comes with all of all of life right yeah. now um were super great so yeah we had seen some posts in the facebook group also people just feeling like they'd lost their mojo mm -hmm. people feeling a little bit anxious about coming back out to events so um she actually works with Erin Ayala, who we had on the podcast, and she was the one that talked a little bit about microaggressions and mansplaining. 
And I had asked Aaron, Hey, do you know anybody that could really speak to some of the stress people are feeling right now? So we do hear a little of Ashley's story, but we talk a lot about just kind of how to handle life right now and all the changes that are again happening and how to handle things when you don't feel motivated. And then she also gets a little bit into, uh, you know, DIY and help how to help people feel welcome, um, within the community. So it's, a really great conference. Both of us were so stressed when we started and we left and we were like, I feel so relaxed now. So, and I'm still using her tips. So, oh yeah, for sure. So I think you'll get a lot of practical information out of this. So we will go on to our interview with Ashley Zapata. Christy, do you know one thing that I'm really sick of? What is that? All the freaking trends and that are coming out in wellness, like Ethan, Uh, avoid that. I don't even yeah. know where to start. Uh, yeah. I don't know where to start. I don't know who to trust. Yeah. But we have a new sponsor that I'm pretty excited about. Have you, have you yes. done your stuff? Yeah. I'm so stoked. Yeah. So Inside Tracker is our new sponsor and they're going to cut through all the noise and they're going to analyze our blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers. And then we get personalized science-backed trackable action plans for how we should eat, age. We need that and perform better. I know. I'm excited. It's the cool thing about it is it's, it's cheaper and it's way more convenient than the traditional blood tests. Um, they include biomarkers that are key to performance. So so information that we're not getting from traditional blood tests. Um, and I think my favorite part is that they're not just going to give us the data, but they're providing us with nutrition and lifestyle tips to help us take action and cut through the noise. Yes. I love that. Cause I feel like whenever I go to the doctor and I get blood tests, I have no idea what to do with them. Right. Exactly. Yep. And I don't, they don't apply to like whatever I'm doing. Um, and the good news is because they are a sponsor of the podcast, all of you all get 25% off their entire store. You just go yes. to insidetracker.com slash girls gone gravel. Change is an inside job. Start on the inside. Hi, Christy. Well, hello, Catherine. How are you today? I'm good. You're like in a little room somewhere or something. (laughs) I'm hiding out. (laughs) (laughs) On another one of your travels? Um, Somewhat, yeah. Visiting some friends. So heading back home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you may have a little bit funky Wi-Fi because the Zoom wouldn't let you on their Wi-Fi network. Yes, today, correct. So we'll bear with but you. you know, we're gonna get through it. So yeah, and I think we have an fine. exciting guest who is in her <laughs> office for the first time. Yes, since the pandemic. Yay! Yes. <laughs> so we have Ashley Zapata with us, and I didn't put anything fancy on it, Ashley. Yeah, thank you. You did it perfectly. Um, joining us, Ashley. Why don't you tell us a Well, tell us what office you're in and what you do to start with. Yes, I am currently in my sports psychology office at the University of Minnesota, where uh, myself and three others serve on the sports psychology team. Um, Primarily, I am providing mental health and performance services to athletes at the University of Minnesota. I also split my time with a professional sports team here in the Twin Cities and um, make space for some private clients as well. So just a few things. You've got your hands full. Just a little bit. <laughs> like you, you sound like you might be an overachiever, Ashley. 
You know, um, I've heard that. I've heard that in the past. Yep. And because of that, I, I recognize the pitfalls sometimes associated with being an overachiever. And when you really need to give yourself permission to not have it together. So a few insights personally from that. I loved, uh, you're friends with Aaron Ayala. Ayala. Now I can't say a last name. Um, (laughs) the first time. (laughs) <laughs> and, but when we had the conversation with her, I felt like I was getting therapy. It was just so calming. <laughs> yeah, She does have that, um, that energy and vibe about her. You know what? I think most mental health providers have some semblance of that. Yeah. At least, you know, the ones that are really good at what they're doing. Yeah. I can already feel that vibe from you. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> we both need it. <laughs> so Ashley, you've got us on the couch. <laughs> What teams do you help there? All of them. All of them, <laughs> All of them honestly. Um, our, um, our sports team is small but mighty, and we serve close to 700 student athletes just at the University of Minnesota. Wow. And that's not including individual, professional, and Olympic teams that we're all working on um, and our private clients. So we do a lot of juggling but we love what we do. So that makes it all worthwhile. That's amazing. And, and you just got into cycling in the past. And I just got into cycling. Yep. Yes, I did. Um, I, so I started my position at Premier Sports Psychology, August of 2020. So right in, you know, right in the middle of a pandemic, um, I was in upstate New York, uh, working at a university there with their athletes and students. Um, and then, you know, COVID um, came into our lives and I recognized that I needed to figure out what my next career move was going to be. On top of that, um, I'm a single parent of three. And so wow. that was even more of a catalyst of trying to figure out what was next. Um, interviewed for my current position, had just a great um, opportunity to connect with people who would then become my colleagues. And Erin was one of them. And I remember in our, one of my interviews that she was sitting in on, um, I think the question came up around hobbies or interests. And I um, just smoothly slipped in there, interest in endurance and road cycling. And she remembered Uh, a few months later, she reached out after um, the ink had dried on the contract and she was like, listen, um, I'm thinking of starting this new cycling team. To be honest, I don't know what all it's gonna entail. Are you interested? And I took a breath and said, absolutely, I'm in. And here we are. <laughs> I love Did the- you do some riding in New York then? before you moved or is this? No, so I did a lot of uh, recreational riding. I mean, I've always enjoyed um, riding my bike ever since I was a kid. Um, In about 2017, I watched a documentary that was following an ultra cyclist as they were um, preparing for and competing in the race across America, um, which is an ultra endurance race from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland, which by the way, I have personal ties to both cities, having, oh, wow. lived, having lived in San Diego, Oceanside area for six years, 
um, in a previous life <laughs> and having lived um, in the Minneapolis, or uh, not Minneapolis, Maryland, DC, Virginia area. So um, anyway, that's a little tidbit on that. But I had watched this documentary, got super excited, never even heard of this race before, thought it was the wildest, most like just out of this world thing a person could ever do. And then my next thought was, I wanna do that. And then my thought after that was, I don't see anyone that looks like me in this documentary. Um, and that started my interest in um, getting into the sport competitively. But at that time, I really just, I didn't have support. I didn't have a community. I definitely didn't have the financial resources, didn't have the time. I was still a doctoral student. I had small children at home. It was just a lot. Um, so to see things really come full circle now in 2021 has been unbelievable. Um, now I do have a solid supportive team. I have mentors. I have access to things that I didn't even know I needed <laughs> beforehand. And, um, you know, we're really committed to what we say, which is mentorship, development, and accessibility. I love that. And you all are just starting to race, right? Like I've noticed on Instagram. Absolutely. We've got some crit races coming up to, tomorrow, actually. Um, and a number of my teammates have already done gravel, fat bike. Um, a lot of, I did a virtual endurance race in January. That was my first ever virtual endurance race. And that was 175 miles about, uh, like about in the comfort of my living room. Although I wasn't super, super comfortable because I was riding on my trainer <laughs> for 175 plus miles, but that was an experience for sure. I think Did you find that being able to do a race like that? I mean, I know, like you said, it wasn't necessarily comfortable, but at the same time in the comfort of your own home to help with some of those barriers a little bit that like it did the I mental mean, ones that come out there and the nervousness and absolutely. I mean, I think that was a great way for me to get introduced to some virtual races and then um, give me the confidence I needed to register for in-person races when, when that was going to be opening up. Um, and granted at the time, we didn't know when we'd be able to race in person again. So I figured, let me get comfortable with some virtual races because who knows how long this will last, but um, it was great. I had the support of my team, um, you know, had the support of our sponsors. It was really awesome. And, and the support of community members who've just been watching us grow as a team and are really excited about what we're doing. So I kept that in my mind and, and I had check-ins with my teammates on social media every two, two and a half hours to see how I was doing. <laughs> if my legs had gone numb yet, which they hadn't, I was good. I just rode my trainer for 50 minutes and I was like, that's, I'm done. Like there's still 10 minutes left in this workout, but that's all I can take. So I cannot imagine. Yeah. I, mean, I, had done a, I had done a lot of uh, workout prep before that. So I was ready. Well, did you have any tricks to get you through that, that time? Cause that's a long time to sit on your trainer. It is a long time. The race itself was a 24 hour uh, virtual race. And I'll just, briefly give you this story. Um, I, a teammate sent me the race registration stuff or the race information, probably, I don't know, October, September of 2020. 
And then registration opened up and we went back and forth around, do we race in the three hour, the six hour, the nine, wait, three, six, nine, 12, 24, um, or maybe three, nine, 12, 24. Either way, we were trying to figure out which one we were gonna do. And at first I'm like, oh, I gotta do the three. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is my first race. Um, but there was a, there was a, a, a desire to do the 24, but I immediately just threw that out of my, out of my mind. I was like, there's no way I can do that. Um, so anyway, registered for the three hour. And when there was time for the race, um, or prep for the race, we were told it had been postponed because of some technical difficulties. And it was in that moment, I was doing a workout. I was listening to some soca music which gives me a lot of energy every time I listen to it. So I, I blame it on the music. But I thought to myself, this is a sign. The, the, this is a virtual race and it was postponed. Like what, where does that happen? Um, and I, I used that moment to say, you know what? I owe it to myself not to self-impose limitations. Um, I have the luxury of being in my living room. So if after six hours, I decide I need to get off, I can get off. I'm not gonna be stranded somewhere <laughs> needing a rescue van to come get me. Um, and just like that, in the middle of the night, I sent an email to the race coordinators to up my registration, not to six or nine or 12, but all the way up to 24. Cause I just said, you know what? Let's see what happens. Either I make the full 24 or I don't, but I'm, We'll just see how long I can stay on here and keep my legs moving. And that's been, that's honestly been one of the largest takeaways since joining and co-founding this team is let's see how far we can go. Um, and let's not self-impose limitations. I love that. I have a feeling we might see Ashley at the Unbound XL start line in a few years, Christy. <laughs> That'd be so amazing. <laughs> such a beautiful event. Well, Ashley, just we, a small jaunt, just a little bit. <laughs> um, we wanted to chat with you a little bit around your expertise today, because I noticed we have a pretty active Facebook group. A lot of women that listen to this podcast are on it, but I started noticing a few, maybe three or four weeks ago, just people saying they're kind of, they feel like they've lost their mojo or they're feeling unmotivated and they're kind of beating themselves up about it. And, and I'm feeling that way a little bit, right? Like we've just been through a really hard year. We finished a big event for work and all of a sudden it it just felt like everything from the past year caught up with me because I've been going so hard, like launching and building things. And so I think a lot of people are feeling that and, but it's people that have always like been high achievers and now they're beating themselves up because maybe they don't feel like writing or they don't you know, feel like having a goal. So I wanted to ask, are you seeing that? Is that normal? And Absolutely. what can we do? That's just a Ab Absolutely. Uh, I am seeing that. I'm seeing that professionally with the athletes I work with. I'm seeing that personally in myself at times, in teammates at times, in just people I care about. Um, absolutely, that is normal. Absolutely, that has been um, a very understood byproduct of the past two years, year and a half. Um, and I would be surprised if someone did not uh, tell me that they were feeling unmotivated at times. And I think that, and again, this is, 
I, the, what I'm sharing with you is both as a professional and as a human being. And what I've had to really uh, prioritize in my own life. And that is number one, to be compassionate towards myself. Um, yes, I am an overachiever. Yes, I like to be busy. Yes, I like to go, go, go. And there are moments where I can't do something and I don't have agency or control over why. Like, you know, the world's shutting down for a period of time. I didn't have control over that. Um, and that's very anxiety producing because there's a lot of uncertainty and you don't know what's around the corner. Um, and our brains are not wired to really be understanding of uncertainty. We wanna figure out what's, what threat is around the corner so we can prepare, which biologically makes sense. You know, we, we need to be prepared for whatever is coming at us. Um, and in the same breath, there are moments where we do accept that we may not have control over some of these other things, but let's redirect our energy to what we can control and what we do have agency over. So those months of lockdown and not being able to race and be in person with my teammates. I mean, I just, I just moved here and I saw my teammates a few times and then things really locked down and I didn't see them. <laughs> we just kept it Zoom. Um, I didn't have control over that. But what I did have control over was, am I choosing to motivate myself in the morning? Am I choosing to limit news that I know is going to be um, emotionally taxing for me? I mean, I'm here in Minneapolis and there's, there's a lot going on right now socially um, with regard to um, injustices and equality, all kinds of things that if you listen to it for too long on the news, you're done for the rest of the day. And so that, that meant unlearning having to be on all the time and unlearning being readily available and accessible sometimes, unlearning being the first person to know what's going on. I needed to really be compassionate um, and give myself permission to sit down, to check out, to set boundaries, to create limitations on accessibility to me if I just need to prioritize mental health and well-being and mindfulness or be with my kids, go play at a playground, something. Um, but those are things that I have, again, agency and control over versus the, the larger, broader things happening around me, which can be frustrating and irritating and taxing very quickly. Can you speak a bit to about, like, I was on a, um, a short ride yesterday with a friend and, and she was explaining um, one of the things that's really happening to her is that anxiety of coming back into society mm -hmm. in a sense you know having spent a year and a half in a reclusive state <laughs> you know? um, yeah. and moving back into the world yeah our yeah. bodies adapt to our situations whether or in our environments whether we are conscious about it or not it's just something that the body's going to do again to keep us safe and to stay alert and observant around what's happening um, in our in our environments. Um, so yeah, coming back into the world again is is very much an adjustment. Uh, we're transitioning away from self-imposed isolations. Um, we're transitioning away from only communicating with people through 
Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. Um, and if, if a person has pre-existing social anxieties or generalized anxiety, um, you know, you can expect that it's gonna be uh, even more difficult for those individuals. But, but to be clear, even if you didn't have pre-existing anxieties, it's going to, it's very natural and normal to feel uncomfortable um, coming back into society again. Um, and I wanna distinguish a little bit between like clinical anxiety and discomfort. Um, clinical anxiety, meaning a person is unable to perform daily tasks because of that anxiety, in which case um, engaging in some therapies and other behavioral strategies or even medication at times is, is appropriate. But generally what I think is happening nationwide is we're feeling discomfort going back into social spaces. Um, and so what I say to that is one, learning to tolerate some levels of that discomfort and that over time it'll lessen and lessen and then we feel more comfortable. And also recognizing when we need a little bit of a break. So don't sign up for every in-person thing and, and go to a cafe with everyone on your contact list. Take it easy, give yourself that permission to schedule maybe one thing um, and let that be a 15 minute, 20 minute interaction and check in with yourself. How did you feel before the interaction? Maybe rate your anxiety um, on a scale of one to 10. Um, check in with yourself throughout the, in the, the encounter and afterwards, how did that feel? Okay, I started um, my morning knowing that I was gonna meet up with a teammate and my anxiety was a five out of 10 not unbearable, but definitely noticeable, maybe some tension in my shoulders. Um, so I took a deep breath. I uh, gave myself permission to leave if I was feeling that my anxiety was gonna spike. Um, I gave myself permission to not tolerate a level of excessive anxiety or discomfort. I got there, I ordered my coffee, we had a great conversation. I'm feeling my anxiety start to lessen. Um, I'm intentionally releasing uh, stress in my shoulders. I'm just, I'm relaxing my body and that's also decreasing my anxiety. Now the interaction's over, I'm on my way home, I'm checking in. You know what? My anxiety is a two now. I enjoyed hanging out with that teammate. I did some breathing in between. I didn't stay for 45 minutes. I left after 30 and that was perfect. That's what I needed. That's the process that I would really encourage people to engage in as, as we're starting to um, make our ways back into, I mean, I, I don't even want to, I want to say normalcy, but it's not normal anymore. It's just, we're making our way back into the world, basically. Are there markers that people should be looking for or recognize when you're going from the, you know, when, if, if the discomfort's becoming true anxiety? Like what, is, what does that look like? Absolutely. So everyone's a bit different. Um, and so that's kind of my first, my first word, right? I might experience and hold anxiety very differently than you. Um, so first, I think it's important for any individual, list, any person listening to this to check in with themselves. How do you know when you are uncomfortable and, and how do you know when you're anxious? What's the distinction for you? Um, for example, checking in with your body. I might be uncomfortable in a situation and 
um, feel some tension in my shoulders. But the point in which I am truly feeling anxious, maybe now my stomach's upset, my heart rate is increasing, my palms are getting sweaty, I'm having a hard time finding my words, something like that. Um, and then the more severe range of that might be, I don't even want to get out of bed to go to whatever the event is. Um, and more often than not in the week, I feel that way. That's on the more severe end. And that's where I would definitely um, encourage someone to connect with a mental health provider or spiritual leader or whatever their preference might be. But I think it, like I said, starts with checking in. What is that distinction for, for you? What feels uncomfortable? And what do you think feels like true anxiety? And starting with the body is a really good, good place because your body's going to give you cues. We just have to listen to them. <laughs> which can be difficult sometimes when you're not used to doing that. Yeah, but it sounds like it, that's even more important than ever now that society's opening back up. And especially if you're like planning to go to a race or an event because mm -hmm. you're already in a heightened state of anxiety and nervousness whenever you're lining up at a starting line. Yes. And then you add that and you know, that's just like, I mean, before races at times, I've been like ready to explode when there's not a pandemic, right? Because yeah. <laughs> of and my own anxiety. A really great um, strategy or intervention is something called grounding techniques. And there are a lot of different types of grounding techniques. Um, my go-to is a sensory exercise where let's say you pull up to a race, you're already feeling angst, um, being in a large group, being back in the racing um, environment, you know, all kinds of things. While you're at the starting line, while you're on your bike, you want to engage your senses. So internally, you're asking yourself, what can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? What can I taste? What can I feel? Um, intentionally engaging in whatever you're, whatever you're getting from those senses, not to be critical of what you're um, experiencing, not to try to figure out where's that smell coming from and who's making that sound. No, just noticing the answers to, to what you're feeling, um, smelling, sense, all of those. You're just trying to be present and engaged because cognitively you cannot engage your senses and entertain like mind racing and intrusive thoughts. Like your brain has to choose one or the other. And so it's a little uh, tip to being grounded and getting out of the anxious cycle sometimes that we find ourselves in consciously or subconsciously. <laughs> so rolling up to the line and if you're feeling really anxious or really uncomfortable or stressed, um, engaging your senses, you know, that's going to immediately bring you back to what you're experiencing right then and there. And that's it. So if you're like, what's this bile in the back of my throat? Am I really going to be sick? <laughs> So when so I, had, I, had to, I had an athlete actually say something similar to that. And I said, you know what, if you're, if you're noticing your mind, um, go, veer off, bring it back to a new sense. That's mm. it. Now, some people might have to do that more often than others, but that's okay. That's part of the practice. And you start to learn how to center and ground yourself the more often you're doing these exercises. And by the way, do them even when you're not stressed. Yeah. Do them even when you're not anxious, you know? Uh, mindful walking is a wonderful technique. Just 
from point A to point B, what are you observing? What are your senses taking in? You know, we move so fast as a society and I think everything with uh, COVID-19 uh, required people to stop. And that was so difficult for a number of reasons, but I think largely we weren't used to that. We weren't used to taking some time and just being still or being at home or whatever. Um, and I think that was really scary for a lot of people, but um, I think the optimist in me wants to look at that as a reminder to not move so fast all the time and to take breaks and to check in with yourself and to give yourself permission to be still. Um, I, I uh, educate athletes on how to do diaphragmatic breathing and other breathing exercises often. And one of the things I'll, I'll say to them is, you know what, also, practice speaking slowly. Uh, you'll notice that when you slow down how you're speaking, your body huh. will um, react positively. And you'll notice that some tension, usually in the shoulders um, also is relieved. Um, and you're just, you're getting more oxygen coursing through your blood. Because when we're talking, we're getting shallow breaths, <laughs> which the brain interprets as either you have to run soon or you're in a hurry. And that's not allowing your body to do the rest and digestion um, things that it needs to do, processes that it needs. So a little cheat sheet, if you're also feeling anxious and stressed, uh, slow down your rate of speech, take some deep breaths and continue. Those are great tips. I feel much more relaxed even than when we started this podcast. Good. <laughs> I know it's crazy. I'm sitting here like implementing it all in my own space as you're I'm talking so me through it. It's right just, it's, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. Absolutely. Okay, I, we gotta... I'll also add, uh, there are a number of apps and things out there that are really, really helpful for in the moment guided meditations. Um, I speak with athletes all the time who say to me, yeah, Dr. Z, I just, I don't really know how to do a meditation. I don't really know how to breathe. I think I'm going to get too distracted. And so guided meditations are helpful because you can focus on whatever the uh, teacher is saying. Um, and if you notice your mind wander, you can bring it back to what they're saying, their voice. So, well, and, and that meditation doesn't need to be super long either. It can be 10 minutes and be effective. I actually don't recommend whether, whether, you're, um, whether you've been meditating for years and years and years or you're new to it, I personally recommend my rule of three, three minutes, three times a day at minimum. Mm. Obviously, if you wanna do more, that's wonderful. But truthfully, three minutes, three times a day is ideal for a few reasons. One, you're, you're establishing it as a habit. So I often say, do it once when you wake up, right before you brush your teeth. That way you're learning, you're associating doing the breathing exercise with brushing your teeth. So it doesn't become an extra thing you do. It's just part of the morning package. Um, do it once right after lunch. Yeah, if you tend to get a little hangry around lunchtime, it's a great idea to do a breathing exercise after you've eaten. That also will help with digestion. And then once um, when you're already in bed lying down. So the first two times, do it standing up. And the last time you'll do it lying down and it'll help you get to sleep if you're having any issues with sleeping. I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> that's a, this is about my that's great. It's a great tip. 
Yeah. But if, you know, if you're a person who has <laughs> a really active mind um, or you've just been, just had a busy day, um, trying to be mindful or trying to meditate specifically more than three minutes, you're probably going to be doing a lot of um, bringing your mind back to something, yeah. back to your breath or yeah. back to the practice, which is good. But I'm just saying that minimally three minutes is, is just the right amount of time to engage in some of that without, without getting too tired, basically. Yeah, that's a great tip. And that's something even like if you are going to even a group ride or a race and you get kind of nervous, you can sit in your car for three minutes. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I work with collegiate athletes. They're like, I don't have time. You know, I got to run to practice. I got to run to class. I got to run to this, blah, 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 which, you know, which has its, the, you know, trying to unlearn having to be so busy, but I get it. Like you can't control it. That's part of your schedule. So I say, I know you have three minutes. Like you can't argue me on that. I know you have three minutes. And if you really want me to be accommodating, there's a 60 second guided practice I can show you. <laughs> I know you have 60 seconds. So it's taken me this long to convince you, you have 60 seconds. You have 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Well, you also had mentioned um, earlier in the conversation having self-compassion with yourself. And I know that's one thing when Erin came on, she mentioned that a little bit too. And I heard her talk at our, actually our women's performance summit about that. And people think like you need to be mentally tough, but actually having self-compassion is one of the keys to success for athletes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, you think about having a close friend or partner that you care about or a child or even pet, any significant loved one, um, you're not typically, you're not going to respond to them when they're in distress by making them more in distress. Like, why would you do that? Um, someone you cared about comes to you and says, hey, I need support. You're not going to say, hopefully, you're not going to say, well, suck it up, you know, no. So if you wouldn't say that to someone that you cared about, why would you then say that to yourself? And so self-compassion is really about loving on yourself, motivating yourself, encouraging yourself, uh, being kind to yourself um, because you need that in order to keep doing what it is you're doing. Um, our team name is Stamina Racing Collective and that's intentional because I think to do the work that, that we're trying to do requires <laughs> stamina. Um, and as an athlete, as um, a person, I think at this, at, in the times that we're living in now, like I don't even think you have to be an athlete, but there's a, a level of stamina that's required. Um, but there's, it, it's a two-sided coin. Yes, you need to have stamina. Yes, you need to have this level of mental fortitude. I wouldn't necessarily say toughness, but fortitude um, and compassion. Like they go hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. Um, and that compassion piece of it is permission granting, knowing when you feel a pain um, in your body and doing something about it. Um, and that's physical and emotional. We're taught to react to physical pain. We learn that when we're kids, but we don't know, we're not all taught how to react to emotional pain and that's where that self-compassion comes in so 100 that's I agree awesome yeah. that 
that Aaron said in the previous um, podcast and would just add to that by saying self-compassion needs to be prioritized. And if you're not going to prioritize it for yourself, how can you expect someone else to prioritize your permission granting and your compassion? No, you need to focus on that for you. It's, it's going to be way more powerful that way. Even when I think about um, validation, so many athletes look for external validation. And yes, that feels nice, but it's so much more powerful when you can do it for yourself. Plus, you're always going to be with yourself. So you can guarantee. Like it or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can guarantee that you're going to have that particular tool because you are the tool. So. Yeah, I love that the commentary when you think about the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves, like, you know, you would never say that to your friend Mm-mm. or your loved one. So why on earth do we say it to ourselves? It's, it's so toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a good reminder, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the work you do uh, with diversity and inclusion. And I know that's a big part of the stamina racing collective is creating inclusive spaces uh, for people in sport. And obviously that's been a big conversation this past year. And I know a lot of people are trying to figure out as I go back into like group rides or events, how, how can I do that? How can I create spaces that feel inclusive? Um, and the gravel community is pretty white right now. So what, what would your advice be? Could you solve all our problems in like two minutes, two minute answer, please? (laughs) I I wish I could, uh, but while I cannot do that, I, what I can do is share that I don't, I don't recommend or believe that people, um, any background, any identity factor, I don't think that any person needs to come into a problem and say, I'm going to be the one to fix all of it. Um, that's not what we're asking. That's not what the, what the situation calls for. And finding out what your piece of that puzzle is going to be, I think is. Um, And so coming into a space and first having self-awareness of what privileges do you bring into the space? What does your identity afford you? What are some things you may have overlooked? What are some past experiences when you've microaggressed against someone or you've experienced a microaggression towards you. I think it first begins with yourself because if you don't have onus or or accountability over things that you've um, participated in knowingly or unknowingly or have identified ways that people have transgressed um, against you, then you're not gonna have a frame of reference to come into the space and contribute anything. So I would first say to someone, Check in with yourself. Let's let's engage in your own uh, process of self-awareness to figure out where do you even fall in this picture. Um, the next step of that is listening, thoughtfully, intentionally, actively listening to people who hold different identities than you and figuring out what, what has your experience been like. Um, and then co- collaborating. How can we come together and figure out tangible action items. I had um, an opportunity to be on a panel and I shared that my tolerance for uh, performative displays has been met, has been 
100% met. And so when people say, oh, what can I do? How can I support? How can I be an ally? Da, da, da. I say, let's figure out action steps. You know, do the work on yourself. Don't ask someone else to do the work for you. Certainly not a person of color to do the work for you. Do it on your own. That's the self-awareness piece and exploration. Listen intentionally to experiences of others um, and then collaborate. Let's figure this out together because again, no one person should be expected to solve all the problems and all the issues. Like you really have to do that together. Um, you know, there's a proverb that loosely says, uh, I, I'm probably gonna miss, miss, um, misquote it, but paraphrasing it, it goes, if you want to go like a short ways quickly or something like that, go on your own. But if you wanna go further um, and more in-depthly and passionately and purposefully go together. And I think that really speaks to what I would recommend anyone um, internalize for themselves as they talk through, well, how can I be, how can I be um, a positive force in this conversation? You know, whether that's uh, trans rights, whether that's um, equity, whether that's accessibility, whether that's um, Black Lives Matter movement, all of all of these dynamics, all of these these really important topic areas require us to work together. Just period, like we have to. Yeah, I love that. And I think like one thing I would add coming from a white perspective is um, I think sometimes it's easy to go, well, I wouldn't do that. Or like to really believe people's voice and <clears throat> excuse me, their perspective. I saw this play out a couple of times this past year of people saying, well, of course we're inclusive. Of course, mm -hmm. like, why, you know, let's not man bash because somebody said they felt like they've been mansplained too. And it's like, well, because you had a great experience here, it doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't had a bad experience. Right. Exactly. Two, like two opposing experiences can still be valid and it's okay. Yeah. And, and further, let's have a conversation around why was your experience this way and why was mine this way? And can we come up with some tangible things that we can maybe offer to a bike shop or offer to a race promoter or offer to wherever the spaces um, of incongruence are? That's what needs to happen, not this back and forth. Well, my experience was this and your experience is that. So you're wrong. What? We get nowhere doing that. And it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the thing that is the most like you said, it, it can get exhausting, but the, the thing that's exciting about it is that if you step back and, you know, take a breath and think about where we can end up, if we all continue to collaborate and do the work five, 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be a better world. Like Absolutely. it's just, it's exciting. If you can, if you can step out of the very moment that you're sitting in sometimes mm -hmm. and realize that it's worth doing the work, it's not easy but it's worth doing. And when we come out on the other side of this, if we can all keep focused and, 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 you know, kindness to each other, really too, when you're doing the work, it's not easy. Um, we're going to come out on the other side of this in a much, much better place. Yeah. And we're not going to be perfect. You know, I've been on panels no. in, in all kinds of spaces. Um, I don't always know the quote right thing to say, 
but I'm not looking for the right thing to say. I'm, I'm sharing my experience. I'm sharing my thought processes and maybe I'm off base. I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm human. Let's engage. Let's talk about that because I'm not going to be able to change my perspective or learn and grow, you know, if we're not co-creating a space to really be open and honest, um, and learn, like I said, from one another and be very active listeners, you know, don't listen to respond, listen to really sit with and process. And if you're not sure how to respond or you're still thinking through something, say that. Um, so many sessions uh, I'm working with young athletes and, and they might say to me, well, I just really didn't know what to say or what to do. And so this is what I did. And, and so I'll respond with, well, what if we just said, hey, you know what? I heard what you said and I need a moment to process that. Can I respond to you later? Can I get back to you later? I really wanna be thoughtful about how I interpret what you've said and how I respond to you. You don't have to be so quick to say blah, 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 because usually it's just a mess. It's okay if you need to take a moment to breathe and to process before you respond. I write a lot of social media posts that I delete before I ever post them. <laughs> I'm like, I better think about this. <laughs> right. <laughs> before I I've post done this. I've done that a number of times. Someone will do something and I think it's egregious and I'm like, oh, I'm going to just give them a piece of my mind and like my keyboard is just going and I read it over and I read it over and I read it over and I realize, you know what, that I don't need to send that because it's not for them. I needed to have this moment. I needed to process. I don't need to send it, but I've engaged in this in this process enough for me to recognize, okay, I can take something away from this and grow and go into another space and talk about it. Yeah. There you go. So much great input. Thank you so much, Ashley. Do, do you see yourself lining up on that starting line at Race Across America one day? Yes, 100%. I love it. I love that. Aaron Aaron already said that uh, we might do this uh, relay style. And I said, absolutely, let's let's give it a go. Um, My experience of doing the the virtual time trial was interesting. You know, we had a session before the race, uh, basically to go through technology and stuff and it was a giant zoom and I noticed that no one looked like me on this zoom um that's not to say that there weren't writers of color but from what I could see I was the only one in this particular meeting um and the writers definitely fit a certain demographic and so yes I want to line up Uh, and I don't want to be the only one lining up that looks like me I want to line up with a whole crew of people from various backgrounds because the sport of cycling is rich and dynamic and robust, but we don't see that. And I think that's also a call to action for sponsors, for race promoters, for USAC to advertise intentionally, not performatively, but intentionally um, what the space really looks like. You know, I, I just, that's important. Representation truly does matter. My eight-year-old uh, 
she's now into mountain biking. She's doing a, a program called Little Bellas over the summer. And she's so excited, so excited. And I don't know if she would have been interested had she not seen me on my bike, interacted with my teammates, um, you know, and, and had the connection to Erin, who's also participated in that program before, to tell me about it. Um, and I think that's also important. How do we consciously, intentionally, purposefully prioritize programming and marketing and opportunities for people who don't look like the typical uh, bike racer? Because we're out here. I get messages from friends. I get messages from people I don't even know on Instagram who say, thank you for being inspiration. Thank you for showing me your process. Do you have recommendations on what bike I should start with? Me, if someone had asked me this last year, two years ago, I don't know. I would have no, no frame of reference at all. So it's amazing what can happen in a very short amount of time. Stamina has amazing sponsors. We have amazing community mentors. We have amazing supporters and just all of these things. But it means nothing if we're not if we're not creating programming to engage people as well. And so that's what we're doing. We have a starting line program. We have a ride bright program. We're offering lights and locks and coaching and opportunities to connect and learn more about the sport. And that's what more people, more teams, more sponsors, more everybody needs to be doing because we have to do it together. Well, we need to have you back on again, Ashley. <laughs> Anytime. Time. I am happy. I'm happy to come and, and talk about oh, it's been great. self-compassion, cycling, my life story, anything you want. <laughs> when you're going to do the XL at Unbound. <laughs> you know what? Potentially. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love all this. Well, tell people where they can find you both to follow your cycling. And then if they're looking to connect with somebody like you professionally. Absolutely. So uh, Stamina Racing Collective can be found on Facebook and on Instagram. You can just search Stamina Racing Collective. Uh, I personally can also be found on Instagram. Um, all of us as a team, you know, we will um, interact with anyone who sends us a message. I mean, we are a very accessible team. So um, my personal Instagram account is amariezapp. I'm happy to field questions in those message or in the messenger there too. Um, and happy to also give references or referrals for, um, providers in Minneapolis, if someone's needing to connect or wanting to connect with me specifically. So send me a message. Well, it's been awesome having you on, Ashley. Totally appreciate your time. Very informative. I'm way more relaxed than I was when we started this meeting. So <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you at a starting line soon. Yes, absolutely. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.